the eye of the mountain below Keep careful watch of my brother's souls And should the sky be filled with fire and smoke Keep watching What is this show called? Don't judge me. And who are you? I'm a hobbit. No, you're not a hobbit. You're not a hobbit. I'm a schmeagle. Can you, you want to do the voice now? Schmeagle. It's got to make it like a... Hey, precious. <laughs> uh, I really do hate that. You hate that I do that? Or? No, I, just, I hate <laughs> that people continue to... I hate that it's still a thing. I don't do it. I you, could try, but I'm not going to. You're not going to do it. You're no. not going to try. So this is Don't Judge Me. Welcome. A podcast about things that we're interested in. Nerd, pop culture, movies. Hopefully we'll do some of the things like games and TV shows and whatnot. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about The Hobbit. Uh, The three movies of The Hobbit have now finally come to their conclusion. Hashtag one last time. (laughs) And I I think that this is a perfect time to talk about them as a set together. And then also about how they relate to Lord of the Rings. Uh, something that I am very fond of, both the books, which I read as a kid. When did you read them? Uh, not as a kid, actually. I read I read The Hobbit, I think, in high school, and I think I read The Lord of the Rings when I was taking a break from college. Gotcha. We'll just say college, whatever. Yeah. When I was older. Right. So I read them older than you. Okay. I read them in maybe about sixth or seventh grade. Have you read them more than once? I have read The Hobbit a couple times. Yeah. And then I have read Lord of the Rings at least twice. Okay. That's respectable. I think I have only read each of them once. But I have to admit, I have watched the movies many times. Yeah, the, the line Lord starts of the Rings, to blur. I have, it was great. The Lord of the Rings were great. I loved the Lord of the Rings movies. When they came out, I have the extended director's cut you DVDs. everyone else. Which are like four hours a movie, <laughs> and I love it. You can watch them back to back. I, yes, exactly. Um, and... I have to say, though, uh, that that really made sense as three books, right, and three movies. That kind of just happened. Yeah, that, let's that just get that out of the totally way. totally made sense. I do not understand. The three-movie Hobbit. Nine hours of Hobbit out of, like, a 300-page book. Yeah, no, so absolutely. So th- three books as three movies. Yeah. Sure, and they were thick books, but The Hobbit, man. I cannot fathom why somebody who seemed to cherish that universe so much in Peter Jackson would make three movies out of this. I don't know if it's just that the the allure of of being able to do that maybe is too great. And they clearly had a fantastic bond when they when they did the Lord of the Rings, they were like a unit that's all through the many special commentary things that they talk about how close they were. Yeah. I can absolutely understand having done theater before that right. that sort of drive to be like exactly. I want to do something with these people again should not have happened. It should have just, no. you know, go out while you're, while you're on top. This, I mean, that, this is a classic example of when you should, have, you should have let it go when you were still on top. Do one really awesome three-hour movie and I would have loved it. Yeah. Yes. In fact, if you'd taken out all the weird shit from this movie, I think I would have been thrilled. I'm really waiting for somebody to do the recut and actually make 
the movie that it should have been. Let's do it. Out of the material, right? Somebody we can cut should, this somebody movie. should we do can this. Totally do this. Make this into the decent movie that it could have been. It really could have been. I mean, there are moments that I really enjoyed, and I'm not going to say that I walked away hating oh. the whole thing. Oh. I, I I didn't. Good for you. I didn't. But to me, it's just it's so filled with stuff that is just irrelevant to The Hobbit, and so. Yeah, were we just more tolerant of that in Lord of the Rings because we knew it was there? And we thought, oh, how's he going to deal with the Cave of the Dead? And when I didn't even, I was reading that and like, I don't really know what's happening here. It's not clear to me what's going on. So I was impressed that he that he let it through, you know, with some minor tweaks. We got the majority of the story there. And I, I have to say, I and much of the geeky public, along with me, really resented this claim of being Hobbit when really being Hobbit slash Silmarillion and other things. Yeah. Hobbit's a really good story. Let's tell that story. So that that's that's just what I felt was the, the problem with the synthesis that was going on there was they had to fill these giant chunks and they put in stuff from vaguely Tolkien lore, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they would bring in something um, that was perhaps mentioned in some song in the appendices of Lord of the Rings and then make that a full fleshed out storyline. Yeah, yeah. Some of them I don't mind. I mean, I thought the introduction of characters in Lord of the Rings, like Arwen, who is almost really not there mm-hmm. in the books, mm-hmm. as well as... Um, but that was, that was delicately handled. She was, she was, Arwen in particular. Now, I know we're not talking about Lord of the Rings, but the difference here is that though Arwen was present in the book, she is referenced. One of the best moments is when at the Ford on her horse, she makes oh, yeah. the the white horses come yeah. down and take out the nine riders. Right. Not but, in the in the books. But felt close enough. I agree. And I think that's what the brilliance uh, of Peter Jackson in the in the original trilogy was is it doesn't it wasn't about being a one for one faithful re- re- uh, reproduction. You know, there was something that had to happen to transmute that book that was essentially not of not of the medium that would make film, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. And it really did take a, a heroic act there to to find a way to make that a watchable experience out of this copious yeah. amounts of thing that is sometimes written, you know, almost in a biblical way. It's like, and then Dane begot who, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it takes a lot to do that. But I thought in in this one. When I say this one, I am referring, of course, to the three mm. hobbitses. The the characters that they add, like Azog, the white orc, why? Yeah, right. There is no sort of like, meaning to his character arc. I don't care. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to bring anything to the tapestry here other than to give Thorin a nemesis, right? And I'm not right. sure that he needed that because that doesn't seem to be the theme of the book is not vengeance. You know, it's it's not about that. The theme of Tolkien oh, is more man. about mercy and greed. That's such an interesting insight. So, so that's really great. You may have stumbled on something that I didn't realize until just now. The telling of the Lord of the Rings was the telling of an epic story. What I resented about this telling of the Hobbit was that he made a lovely little adventure tale into the epic that that he saw, and I didn't I didn't see that when reading the book. And I guess uh, a lot of people didn't. I totally agree. And like, so even if you make a slightly different but Tolkien-esque epic saga, the books were an epic saga. This was a hobbit-sized adventure that sort of just gives some texture into Middle-earth, right? And it's a children's story. 
It's yeah. not about these like epic themes of good and evil right. and all of that. It, it really is more about Bilbo. And, and getting caught up in things that are too big for him to fully appreciate or understand. Like all of a sudden there's five armies and it's not necessarily clear what's going on. I'm terrified. Thank God I can go back home where things are nice. And you're kind of with him there at the end. That was a great adventure. Thanks. And everyone lived happily ever after, which you're not looking for at the end of the Lord of the, Lord of the Rings. Exactly. difference between what the books of the hobbit or i should say book the book mm. uh little book the little book uh, is not about that size and scale that lord of the rings has and even in things like the battle of the five armies like the where are the orcus siege engines and stuff like where do they come from yeah it sort of almost starts um Cheapening. weighing itself down in its own attempt to to aggrandize sure and 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 in so doing sort of making a little bit cheaper the the stuff that we appreciated is f- epic and huge and and world changing in lord of the rings but it turns out that happens all the time yeah that's just that's just a thing that's just how it happens you know and i remember and, thinking specifically about the time in lord of the rings where um it's pippin is in gondor with gandalf and the orcs are coming in the door. And he's like, Gandalf? And he's like, we might be out of luck here. Like, this, this might be the, be the end. And you see Gandalf know it too. And his sort of acceptance of that is what fuels Pippin to actually go and charge uh, into the orcs that are bearing down this door, right? They, they bust it down and they run in there. And it's what gives Pippin the courage to actually go and stick his sword in, right? Mm-hmm. To contribute, to, to be somebody who is helping the cause. And I feel like those moments now, like you said, are cheapened because we can, well, Gandalf, that that wasn't even like the biggest battle you've ever been in. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, remember that time where, you, you know, there were these like giant worms that came out of the ground, like Dune and these... Uh, crazy yeah, you've giant done, ogres. You've clearly done this at least twice, so you're you're probably fine. You right? can't be that scared. Also, by the way, can can we give the eagles a little break? Can we give them <laughs> just a little break? Like you can't go to the eagles every time. Again, it cheapens it. It's like why didn't the eagles that just way. fly the ring to Mount Doom yeah. and drop it? Clearly, in? he has all the service of the eagles that he could possibly want. So why did we travel along the ground? He can call them anytime. They're absolutely at his his back end call. You know, when he has the moth in his hand the first time yep. in Lord of the Rings, yep. and then they just kind of redo it in this hollow absolutely way. Absolutely felt the same way. And it way. becomes sort of a trope of itself, and it ruins it. Yeah, Gandalf just does that. That's Gandalf calls Gandalf. the eagles. Right. Well, why the fuck was that a big deal? Yes. Why did he just do that all the time? back to added and removed characters, right? So that's one of the big things that a lot of the Tolkien nerds hate about 
some of the characters that are missing in Lord of the Rings, like Tom Bombadil. Tom Bombadil. For example. I didn't miss Tom Bombadil. So I thought Tariel was actually a pretty good addition in many ways. It's a very boys club thing in Tolkien, right? Like, sure. There's almost no female characters uh, except maybe like Galadriel, right, who is almost more like an angel. Right. Uh, makes you wonder how much interaction Tolkien actually had with the opposite gender. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they don't right. not All men to, love her. Sure. Yeah, there's yeah. just not very much going on there, right? And so I was I was pleased to see a yet another female character, but it felt like they're like Arwen worked well, so we'll just do that again. Yes, I right? agree. And I'll, they sort of made that was... this sort of she elf person again, and I really hated the little interspecies romance romance triangle man did that turn up to be a huge element in in that third movie that i just for why totally could have done without for why i just don't i don't understand why we went there so i think there are additions though that do do really add up to something right like uh one of my favorite characters actually was balin Mm -hmm. like in the book the dwarves are basically cookie cutters like they're like there's thorin and then the other ones. Well, that was kind of the point, right? It was Balin, Dwalin, Kiligili didn't matter. These are they made some it, I mean, literally, weird name. Yeah. literally they made them up like that. That is exactly what it is, right? They're like, what are these words? And they did have character. I thought there were times in the movie where that was really appreciable, right? And unavoidable. Right. Like, you've now got 17 characters. How many were there? Uh, there's 12 dwarves, right? right? So you've got 12 characters on the screen. Are you are you really just gonna just be like they're all kind of they're the all same? Kind of the same. Though I have to say, in the the um, the cartoon movie, yes, they kind of did. Yeah, they, I don't I don't recall them ever distinctly sort of delving into. But the cartoon was quite uh, it was very faithful, quite closely yes. yes, quite faithful to the original the book. But, but it was a, it's a beloved movie. Okay, right. We're not talking about the cartoon movie. But I'm just saying, if <laughs> if Peter Jackson had made me that cartoon in 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 an action film in his whatever, like in a in a live in action thing, yeah, I would have been perfectly happy, perfectly happy. Yeah, but okay. I, I but do think there is real texture that that was added, and like it was cool to see that the the dwarves had different beards and different. Uh, you know, outfits and things like that and different personality. Like, that was cool. I mean, something I remember from the, uh, you know, second disc of the first Fellowship of the Ring extended edition Wait, is that behind ac- the scenes. Is that pictures. accurate? Is that really weird? It actually might be. <laughs> and there's this piece where they're talking about the concept art that they did. Mm-hmm. And they went and drew and designed this whole language of, like, dwarves and elves. So if you just see a piece of armor or a sword or a little bit of architecture, you know mm-hmm. who who made that, like mm-hmm. what civilization made that. And I thought that that was very evident in this movie as well, is that we've never seen that. We've only ever really seen one dwarf in earnest, right? And yet all of the dwarves did work for me visually. I thought they looked like dwarves and I thought they put them together in this very clever way. It made me think about how well they did that the first time. Yeah. Right. right. When they sat can, down. we can still use it and still enjoy it. And it's this whole designed language, right? So all the dwarves have really sharp angles and things like that and the elves all have sinew and curve and so you can see a sword and you know that that's of this nature. And I think that is the best thing perhaps that they did was they gave this uh, very rich universe a visual language that you could recognize 
not even in the same movie. You came back to it and you're like, that guy's an elf because he's wearing a tunic that looks like an elf. And you just know. <laughs> and you may not be able to uh, articulate or describe that uh, as, as uh, when you first see it. But you just know that the swords they find are, are elven because they look like it. Yeah. They don't look like man swords yeah. or hobbit swords or whatever. I don't even think the hobbits make swords, man. Yeah, it's more of a letter opener. <laughs> I hate Radagast. I hated Radagast too. <laughs> I didn't, hated it, he, and, and was he was never present in any book I read. And, and I have to admit, he's in one paragraph. I didn't read the of Lord of the Rings. He is. They mention his name, and that's it. Yeah, I don't think that I'd want. I don't. Mm, he was very prominent in this series of movies. Rabbit sled. Uh, yeah. So you liked the language, you appreciated some of the extra characters. What else? I thought that I'm the, glad that you did a thing, a, something about what you liked because <laughs> I don't, I don't think you I can't need, think of anything. I don't think I need that. <laughs> I thought that the acting of Martin Freeman was fantastic the whole time. I thought he was a great Bilbo. He, I, um, I thought he was a, in many ways uh, the best Hobbit. So I thought he was a little bit precious with some of the confounding, more confounding moments that Bilbo has. Um, so, for example, I, I'm thinking of one particular moment where I, as a as an audience member, watched him and went, come on. <laughs> He's holding Gollum at sword point and right. they're having a discussion and he gets frustrated with something about the way that, that they're interacting. He kind of like flo- throws his arms up in the air and the sword away from Gollum and then kind of comes back to it. So there were moments during the riddles in the dark. It was in the in the dark okay. in the cavern. That particular moment, I don't know. It just never, it never sat well with me. I, so that's so funny. I thought that was my one of my favorite points. Ugh, indicating because that actually gets back to the actual relevance of the Hobbit on Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. is Bilbo's mercy. Absolutely, he stays his hand, mm-hmm. and who in the end is the one that throws the ring in the fire? It's, it's not Frodo. Right. So I think that that was one of my favorite parts. I did like as well him interacting with Cumberbatch when he's Smaug. Mm-hmm. Um, also Cumberbatch. Yeah. Oh, my God. Brilliant. That was the best looking dragon I've ever seen. It makes it... Game of Thrones dragons look pretty wimpy. <laughs> and also it they're not a... voiced by Benedict Cumberbatch. It was, so... a... it was an amazing. That That was beautiful. Absolutely. I think that Martin Freeman embodied that hobbitness so well of being uh, a little person in a big place. He doesn't actually get to be the star of the third movie, right? It, it actually becomes Thorin. Yeah, absolutely. It's Thorin's movie. And really, it was kind of Thorin's movie from the start of the series, though. There was an awful lot more attention paid to who Thorin was, and that may have been one of the, one of the storytelling downfalls for me, that this was never Thorin's story. So... Actually, this is something that I wanted to talk about was, so Thorin does die, and Killy and Philly die Mm -hmm. in the book, Mm -hmm. Um, but they do it leading this charge. Erebor. They come out of Erebor to contribute, basically. Yeah. Finally. Right? Yeah. And there is no Dane, Ironfoot, 
Those dwarves aren't there. That's 150 miles away, according to Tolkien's map. Really? It couldn't just show up in an hour or something. If he died the way he did in the book, right, they rush out heroically and try and contribute. Mm -hmm. That, That has a little bit more meaning to me than him going after his white whale, I mean orc. And like that, I don't care. I don't care that you got vengeance on this orc because that's not what the theme is about. Oh. And it, it kind of really upset me. Um, Thematically, I, I, I absolutely agree. And even in the specific choreography of that battle, I have to say I was prepared to be blown away if this character defeated his arch nemesis by simply stepping off of a piece of ice. I was like, that was awesome. Mm. He just outsmarted him. That was awesome. And that's how that ends. It wasn't glorious. It wasn't amazing. Now, of course, I knew that Thorin was going to die, so I knew it wasn't going to be the end. But I really wished that it could have been. Like, I really wished that there had been some some really inventive storytelling there. And, of course, there was not. He, right. like, comes, kills him through the ice, and you were just waiting for it. And if you really think about it, like, that is so different than, for example, how Boromir died in Lord of the Rings, right? Boromir, very similar character to Thorin in many ways. He has oh. a mantle of responsibility. And he fails a little bit. And he fails. Right, And right. he comes to recognize his own failure. Mm-hmm. Right? And then dies, right, sure. And then dies mm-hmm. trying to make amends. Mm-hmm. They took the little ones, you know? Like, right, that's right, right. fucking brilliant. Sure, it was. It was good. And it makes you tear up. And you kind of, like, felt for him, for Boromir And you're there. like, he's not a bad guy. He right. had a moment of weakness. We all make mistakes. Right. And he was ready to make amends for it. Right. And... To me, that's the difference between how he uh, dies and Thorin dies, right? Thorin's fall is 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 tragic, but there's no redemption there in his death the way that Boromir's does. Right. He just sort of comes to his senses and goes, oh, fuck, I better get back to it. But then doesn't then goes after his white whale, right? Which oh, doesn't necessarily right. contribute, even contribute right. to the battle. That, and that's not about the others. It's not about helping other people. Because in the end, it's just the eagles again. They come in <laughs> and they just are like uh, stealth bombers, basically. Just Deus ex machina. Yeah. To me, his death meant nothing. And say, I felt the same way with Killy and Philly. Ultimately, in the end, their death meant nothing. Boromir's death is the culmination of his tragic arc. And I thought in the extended version of Lord of the Rings, they actually show you a little bit more of him with Faramir back at the the White City. And mm-hmm. you feel even more tragic about his death then in the way that Thorin, you just don't. His greed and avarice, if he was a true tragic character, he should have been redeeming those qualities in his death. And he wasn't. He was hunting his Moby Dick. So do you think that Jackson still got across that theme of greed that is so present in the book? Yeah, well, so despite this failing of a hobbit's, the telling of a hobbit's tale, tale, I think he did really capture this sort of madness and betrayal and what did he call it? The dragon's sickness of having all of this wealth. And and, and, And Tolkien and Jackson went to sort of great lengths to highlight that this is some, this is a failing that is not exclusive to the dwarves, but they are particularly susceptible. Why is that our primary motivator, though, then, in society, is if you want to get someone to do something, you give them a financial incentive, right? Like That is the most generic and accepted way to make anyone do anything, is give them money for it, right? And why yeah, is our absolutely. civilization driven by this avarice? Well, so I, I, I think we should probably highlight that, that that may not be true 
worldwide. It is true of of every element of culture to which I have been into which I have been introduced. So there may be countries that don't come at the world this way. And I think that is the way that we've built it here. That's the way that it's built in the U.S. And um, I think that it is a, that, that greed is a powerful thing, but it is absolutely dangerous. And, and you can see in uh, the story of the subprime mortgage loan, right? It, it was just a matter of time. They were just looking for a way to slip through the cracks and yeah, we, we had the ring on, right? right? Yeah, we're, we're using the power. And yeah, eventually it bit us because we didn't get rid of it when we needed to. We didn't move on. And I don't know, do we need to, does, is, is Tolkien trying to tell us that we as a society need to move on, need to find hmm. uh, a way to, to get rid of these these things or that we should never have touched them That's a good to question. begin with? It, do, it is a very pastoral his world. I, his idyllic world is, is absolutely, is very you know, based on relationships. The theme there that feels like the most... Germain still is greed. Yeah, power power is dangerous, and it corrupts. Uh, I think it's Bhutan, which is a almost entirely Buddhist country, oh, right? Oh, yes, the happiness index. Happiness index. Right? Yeah. So right. that is an example of somewhere that has not fallen in line with that, right? That has said no, material wealth and the acquisition of of things mm-hmm. is not the primary driving force of our society, right? How successful has that been? I don't know. But the biggest theme walking away from The Hobbit is greed is is sort of this thing that can consume. And even the most well-intentioned people, the heroic and noble, can be subsumed by this desire for more. And it's self-reinforcing, right? Whoever has the ring has the power and is therefore far less likely to release it. And who's writing the rules of the social structure that we live in are those people that that have benefited from its current structure and least likely to to make a change that is exactly right there's a point by noam chomsky that says it's very very unlikely for you to undermine the system that got you to where you are right absolutely so if i'm the president of the united states i will continue to do everything in my power whether i mean to or not to validate the fact that you got there I think that's especially dangerous for powerful people. That is something that you can see in Tolkien. The only people who are really capable of of doing the right thing is not even Gandalf, right? Right. He doesn't want to touch it. He can't. Right. And Galadriel, same thing. The only people who are able to actually make a difference in the world are the people who don't want the power. Well, that's Gandalf's. Gambit. And it works, right? That's what that's what Tolkien tells us. That's what Tolkien tells us. We should model our our, our society on lessons from Tolkien. 